Okay, follow as I, if, as I read out of Ephesians chapter 5. We'll begin at verse 22 and we'll read to the end of the chapter. It goes like this. Husband, excuse me, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, And the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound. And I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself. And let the wife see that she respects her husband. The grass withers and the flower fades. But the word of our God, as you know, it endures forever. One of my heroes is, uh, is G.K. Chesterton. You may have heard of him before. But he had one quick sentence to say about marriage. He said this, I have known many happy marriages, but never a compatible one. For a man and a woman as such are incompatible. You know, I, I bet you I could get a few amens over that. Um, um, but what we're going to try to do is figure out how to get the happy uh, while we're so blasted incompatible, you know? Um, you know, one of the reasons that I have chosen some somewhat odd uh, text to include in this marriage series, uh, there was Genesis 3 and 2 Corinthians 5, is because, um, to be quite frank, guys, if, if, you, 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 uh, if you study the scriptures, you, you have to admit, you, you will... You will notice, I think, the the surprising scarcity of biblical passages concerning specifically the subject of marriage. Um, There there is, very frankly, very little that's said about it. And the one somewhat lengthy passage that we get, the one I just read to you out of Ephesians 5, was written by a lifelong bachelor. Um, you know, Jesus said very little about the subject, um, uh, next to nothing almost. So how are we to understand that? Uh, is it because of um, the, the indifference of uh, bachelorhood that has um, resulted in so little being said in the scriptures? I, I don't think so. I, I think uh, what Paul does say is brief. Uh, but it is powerful. Um, you know, the Gettysburg Address was only 270 words, and it sure left its mark. But uh, this passage is not even that long. It didn't have that many words in it. But oh, how it packs a punch. 
Um, this passage contains two priceless pieces of instruction. Um, now, guys, trust me. I, I do know um, the, uh, the order or the arrangement, uh, the, the sequence in which these two pieces of instruction occur in the text. And so does every husband and every wife in this room. Um, and, and, and perhaps there are even husbands, a couple, um, who are here this morning, and they are just licking their chops, relishing the idea that, that Dr. Young, good old dear Dr. Young, is going to stick it to them, you know, to the wives over this submission thing. And, and, and brothers, I, I hope I, I, I won't disappoint you. But, but before I get that tasty little task, um, I, I've chosen to kind of reverse the order. And, and I'd like to speak this morning first to husbands and the instruction given to husbands. You, you can consider it, ladies, my, my Mother's Day gift to you. Um, speaking of speaking to husbands, um, I want to clear up something that I said last week. Um, I, you, I know you don't remember it, but it's just troubled me all week. And, you know, I often walk out of this pulpit thinking, I wish I had said that better. I wish I'd, I wish I'd have done, I wish I'd have been clearer. And, and here's what I messed up, I think. It, it, you know, at one point I was saying that uh, God saves our marriages by saving us. And the way that he saves us is that he gives us a new heart. It's called regeneration. And as a result, we get new eyes and we begin to see things that we've never seen before. And, and I went on to say with, with, with a hefty dose of passion that um, I begin to see, well, maybe the reason that my marriage is broken is because of my sin. And the re- maybe the reason that my wife is so indifferent to me is because of my sin. Well, here's my point. I didn't mean to imply that, that men are the only ones that get converted. And the only ones that get new eyes, nor the only ones who have sin. Um, wives get converted too. And, and they get new eyes and they see their sin. And, 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 and at that point last week, I was not speaking to men. I was speaking as a man. As a husband. So I, I hope that, at least if, if I confuse you, that clarifies that. But this morning, I really... Um, I hope it's profitable for you ladies, but primarily I'm speaking to men. We're going to start with that piece of instruction that is 15 words. (laughs) 15 words. Uh, A piece of instruction aimed at husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Before we dive uh, real deep into that, I want to draw your attention in the text to, to just some relationships in general. Um, there are three uh, relationships in general right in this, right in this context. Uh, of course, the first one is a husband and a wife. You, you know, then in, um, in 22 it says wives submit and husbands, and then in 25 it says husbands love your wives. And then you flip over to chapter 6. And you see that chapter 6 opens, children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. But then down in verse 4, it says, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline of the Lord. There's another relationship. Here's here's the third one in verse 5. Slaves, 
Obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ. And then verse, verse 9, masters, do the same to them and, and stop your threatening. Now, guys, do you see uh, that those are three relationships? And in each of those relationships, a reciprocity is, is required. A reci- what? You know, you know what reciprocity is. You know what the word reciprocal means. It means that, there's, that, that, that the relationship is balanced on both ends. That there's, that, there's something, that there's something for both ends of this relationship to be doing. Um, in, in the first century, when Paul is writing the book of Ephesians, no one, no one would have blinked an eye over the responsibilities given to the, to the persons on the first part of those formulas. For instance, to wives to children, and to slaves. Nobody would have just, you know, would have hiccuped at all over the fact that Paul had addressed instructions to those three. But to introduce the idea that there was a reciprocity on the other end of that relationship, that the, that the other party also had responsibilities, why? Why, that was downright countercultural. I mean, that was, that was breaking new ground. Um, ladies and gentlemen, the, the idea that, that uh, wives were to submit, uh, nobody blinked at that. But then for Paul to come in behind that and say, but husbands, let me tell you what, Bubba. You've got a responsibility in this as well. That was groundbreaking. Marriage in the first century was always dominated by men. It was a one-way street. And the men were doing the driving. For instance, in the first century, only a husband could... um, could terminate the marriage. Wives have no rights to do any such thing. You know, it, it's, it's, it's always interested me. You know, you realize that Islam, 21st century Islam, still has the same view of women. And it baffles me to think that any woman, like the Boston Bomber's wife, would convert to Islam. Why would you want to go back to that first century tyranny? Forget the fact that it's a, that it's a lie. Islam is a lie. Why would any woman want to go back to that? Well, that said, ladies and gentlemen, I want you to notice that the reciprocity when it comes to marriage is that a woman has a right to be loved. And a husband has a duty to provide love. You see, that's, that's the genius of the New Testament, ladies and gentlemen. And as uh, familiar as you may be with it, that was hugely new. Yeah, we knew the wives were supposed to do this. But the husband? You mean there's something that's required of us? 
Oh, you betcha. And I would even go this far or as far as to say this. What is required of us is far more complex, far more demanding than is what, than, than what is required of our wives. So, um, the assignment, the, uh, the piece of instruction, of course, is, is that we um, love our wives. So, what does biblical love look like? Well, fortunately, uh, Paul has told us that. Um, he's given us instructions, and he's summarized them in 11 words. <laughs> Here's what biblical love looks like. As Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So, what we're going to do is just tease out from those 11 words, what biblical love looks like. Now, guys, um, I have been saying throughout this series on marriage um, that, the, um, that love, the, the key component in love is this radical piece of self-abandonment. You see it in the language when, he, when, when, when Paul says, as Christ loved the church and gave. This radical piece of self-abandonment. You know, I think you and I can, scar- can scarcely calculate how much love it took to pry Jesus out- off of his throne in heaven and to get him to come to this planet so that he could end up on a cross. That's a radical piece of self-abandonment. But, but you see it also even in the words of the text, guys. This is an interesting um, note. I I hope you'll find it interesting. In the Greek language, the normal Greek word for give or gave is the word didomi. But that's not the word that you find in Ephesians 5.25. As Christ loved the church and gave. You don't find didomi there. You find paradidomi. It's a little prefix in front of the verb that means to, and, and it's reflected in your English translations with the word up. He, um, uh, as Christ loved the church and gave himself up. Uh, it can be translated, gave himself over. But no matter what prefix you use, the idea is that the giving is intensified. It's not a normal piece of giving. It's not me. It's paradidomi. It's not a little gift. It's a big gift. It's not little giving. It's big giving. It's not normal giving. It's radical. Self-giving. You know, guys, we live in a culture of the, of the selfish gene. And it's hard. It's hard to, to, to fathom the kind of giving that's displayed in Christ Jesus. But guys, um, the first thing that biblical love does or looks like is that it welcomes opportunities to set aside my own interest in the interest of my wife. Did you hear that? 
Forget all the paradidome stuff if that bored you. Biblical love welcomes opportunities to set aside my own interest so that I can meet the interests, I can meet the needs of my wife. That's the first thing that you see in this as Christ loved the church and gave himself up. What we're being called to is not self-giving, but paradidomy, self-giving, radical self-giving. Here's the second thing. You know, evolution uh, explains love in terms of biochemistry. We explain love in terms of miracle. Marriage requires a miracle. In fact, it requires, it requires a succession of miracles. And, and here's what I mean by that, guys. We husbands, knowing that left to our own devices, we will never love like that. Here's what we begin to do. We begin to plead. Not with our wives. We begin to plead with God. Oh God, would you enable me to love? Would you teach me to love like that? You know, folks, um, people have to be taught to love in spite of themselves. That is, uh, there's a sense in which love is a learned behavior. But if you don't like that, uh, that notion that love is a learned behavior, then try this on for size. Love is spiritual warfare. Because again and again, I'm being asked to do something that in my flesh I cannot do. So, it's a miracle if we ever display biblical love. Third thing, and you got to get this one, folks. You got to get this one. This is a biggie. My love was never intended to be a response to my wife's submission. You understand that? My love for my wife was never designed to be or to wait for Susie to submit before I gave it. In fact, just the opposite. Love takes the initiative. The husband leads out in a Christ-like love and the wife responds with a church-like submission. Let me put it to you another way. Um, Tell me, when did Jesus Christ love me? Did he love me before I submitted or after I submitted to him? Hmm, Well, he, he loved you before you submitted to him. Right. So if I'm supposed to love my wife like Jesus loved me, then I'm supposed to love her before she ever submits to me. Let me say it another way. What was there about me that evoked Jesus Christ's love for me? (laughs) Nothing. Nothing. In fact, the only thing I offered was demerit. Everything that I offered repelled him. But he overwhelmed me with love, loving me into submission to him. 
The explanation for his love for me is found in him, not in me. You get that? Biblical love that a husband is required to give is um, was never designed to be withheld until my wife submits. Oh, no, just the opposite. Uh, it was supposed to be offered like Jesus' was long before I ever submitted to him. Fourth, love is never unfaithful. Um, Christ's love was never unfaithful. Uh, guys, we must admit no rivals to our love, whether it's animate or inanimate, or anything that even smacks of infidelity. Guys, a wandering eye can be a real marriage killer. Um, we must take quick, aggressive, and even ruthless action to eliminate the eye going places that it shouldn't. Very honestly, brothers, some images overpower the eye. They, they storm the brain and, and take control of it. So we must not permit any of those images. Unfortunately, some of us already have. So what do we do about that? I don't know. I, I, I'll, I'll offer these two. First of all, ask God to scour the walls of your brain, your mind. Ask him to get in there with a Brillo soap pad and scour the walls of your mind. But secondly, brothers, ultimately, biblical warnings against infidelity will not protect you. What will protect you, I think, is fresh encounters with Christ. Daily, several times daily. New and fresh encounters with Christ. That's where um, our protection is. Fifth, <laughs> love never divorces. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, um, well, that's wrong. That's wrong because I know that the Bible does permit divorce. And you know what? You're right. And perhaps I should better say it like this. Maybe I should say love rarely divorces. But here's the point that I'm, I'm trying to get across. My, my point is that love never parts with its object. You know, guys, we're so accustomed to a culture of easy divorce that we, that we run for the divorce courts before we ever start working on our marriages. Um, I, I'm trying to communicate to you um, 
that love doesn't part with its object. Now, guys, I know this is sensitive. I know this is difficult stuff. I know it's complex. I understand that. And God forbid that someone in this room would ever use any of my words to go do something that, that, that is wrong. I'm trying to communicate that love doesn't part with its object. But I understand that the Bible permits divorce. And so I'm impaled on the, on the horns of a dilemma. Just like some of you are. I want to read you something. Uh, this is from Chuck Swindoll. It's a paragraph, so you're going to have to wake up. But it's, 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 it's good, I thought. Chuck Swindoll says this. I hope I am still seen as a man of compassion and one who encourages others to be compassionate. Well, so do I. But first and foremost, we must be people of the truth. Yes. Although I don't advocate divorce, neither do I, I believe there may be a time when separation in a marriage is essential for survival and for the children to be able to gain their equilibrium with at least one sane parent. To give a foolish father or mother all the benefits of home and all the joys of happiness and all of the affirmation and honor of a home, no matter what kind of godless life he or she is living, doesn't even make practical sense to say nothing of biblical sense. Now, guys, I'm not sure that I'm in line with all the details of everything that he said. But I, I will say this. I am in agreement with the sentiment. I am opposed. Do you hear me? And if you come to my office, I will never race to divorce. But there comes a time when I don't know what else to tell you. For instance... Let's say there's, God forbid, been an affair. And the offended party uses that affair to, to hold it over her, his spouse forever. And become tyrannical. And in, the, and in the face of chronic, unresolved bitterness. I guess you better call an attorney, you know, when couples come to me to marry them in the premarital counseling, I tell them, you need to expunge the word divorce from your vocabulary. Get rid of it. Don't ever use it. It's, it's, don't ever mention that word. Because fundamentally, love never parts with its object. Sixth, love pays attention. We know our wives, or we're at least supposed to know our wives. She is my, my most cherished earthly possession. All of which means love talks. It asks questions. It, uh, it listens. Brothers, to fail at listening is a choice. Any bozo who wants to, can listen. Um, you don't have to have any academic degrees to listen. So communication breakdowns in marriage cannot be permitted. We, we guard against the demise of conversation 
in our marriage. We, we make time. We get good at this. We learn to be better at this. How? Well, um, we turn off the television set. The greatest enemy of communication in marriage. Um, we walk away from the computer screen, which is 1B in terms of greatest enemy in communication in marriage. We, um, we arrange dates. You can pick up a phone and make a reservation at a local restaurant. We, we look at our partner in the eyes. And we say no to the kids. A conversation with your wife is far more important than a conversation with your kids. Oh, did he say that? Yes, ma'am, I did. You want me to say it again? Your lines of communication with your wife are far more important than your lines of communication with your kids. It is to be a marriage-centered home, not a kid-centered home. You know, guys, we know more about our golf swing than we know about our wives. And then we wonder why we're so bored. Seventh. Love is jealous. Um, You've heard me say that before. Any relationship that's designed to be exclusive, jealousy is a part of it. You've heard me say this before too. You show me a man who can find his wife in the arms of another man and not get jealous, and I'll show you a man that doesn't love his wife. Jealousy is not just permitted in marriage, it's demanded. Because this relationship, just like mine with God's, is to, is to permit no rivals. Now, guys, um, that's my list um, of seven things. I know that others make other lists. You can find all kinds of lists. I've taken some of this from some list. I've thrown some other things in here that I think are important to me. And, and, and you can find other lists and you can make the list longer if you like. And, and, and I, that would be perfectly legitimate. I'm simply saying that biblical love looks something like that. And that's the love that transforms a bride. Because it's like Christ's love for his bride. It's the one thing that is the antidote to all of the social ills of this world. Husbands, love your wives. Oh, how our culture would change. If husbands simply obeyed that. Now, brothers, um, I often have the privilege, the, um, the sad privilege, of listening to broken-hearted men whose wives are the perpetrators of the crime. I had one man tell me the story that he went out and hired a private detective to follow his wife. And then he showed me the pictures that the private detective took of his wife. And the pictures were of her at the back door of a local hotel, frantically pulling on a locked door, trying to get into the hotel where her paramour awaited her. I had one man tell me that he's followed his wife. That's not true. He got a telephone call from a, from a friend who said, your wife is over at this bar in this local hotel. And so he got in his car, raced to the, the bar, and sure enough, there she was with another man sitting at the bar. And so he, 
he sat a ways off behind a newspaper and watched her. And then she finally, um, they both got up and left the bar and got in the elevator and went upstairs. I talked to a man one time who told me that his wife got involved in her church in a way that she had never gotten involved in the church before. Only to find out later that she was having an affair with the pastor. Brothers, I know that there's two sides to every story. And oh, that I had some kind of magic bullet to, to, uh, to fix all of this, but I don't. Here's what I do have. Brothers, I have never met a woman yet, not one, who has ever complained about submitting to a man who loved her. Yeah, 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 Dr. Young, I, uh, uh, I hear you, but, uh, but uh, when, when are you going to suck it to him about, about submission? Brother, you didn't hear a word I said this morning, did you? If you want to get started in relationship repair, then repent of that. That, you know, suck it to them back to submission. Fix your attention on the assignment that is given to you, not to her. You know, people say that marriage has its ups and downs, and indeed it does. But let me tell you about its ups. Its ups are when love is in full force. Its downs are when love disappears or it plays hide and seek or whatever. You know, guys, I'm a child of the 60s. The Beatles uh, came on the scene, uh, I think, in the early 60s. Um, They split up in the early 70s. And uh, the one Beatle that went off on his own and and did quite well was Paul McCartney, um, who, by the way, is going to be in Memphis on the 26th, I understand. And and, uh, John Lennon was murdered on the streets in New York. You remember that? that? And John, uh, or Paul McCartney, um, started his own group uh, with his then-wife, Linda. Um, Wings, remember that group uh, that McCartney led? They're not in existence anymore, I don't think, but... um, one of the songs that they produced with Wings um, is now uh, mentioned as the 31st most or best song ever produced. It ranks 31 in all the songs. That, that That's pretty impressive, don't you know? You know what it was? I'm going to sing it. You'd think the world had had enough of silly love songs. I look around me and I see it isn't so. Oh, no. You know, folks, love just may be the most potent of all forces. And if it is. It is hardly surprising that the most overwhelming experiences of life should be those of being in love with God first and then with another human being of the opposite sex. In love with God means that I am being overwhelmed 
more and more by his beauty. That is, the fact that the Son of God willingly left his home in glory and came to give himself up to lay his life down for me voluntarily, it never ceases to attract me. And, and that love can never be earned. God gives it away to undeserving people like me and like you. And on top of all that, it's a love that will not let me go. He refuses to divorce me, even though I have been so unfaithful to him. Nobody loves me. Like he loves me. And submitting to him. Is my delight. Brothers. There's nothing silly. about love. Our Father, I pray that you will take uh, these babblings of mine and stir up your people, stir them up to the, to the point of looking for the miracle, the miracle of self-abandoning love. And for marriages that are somewhat fractured or broken even, I pray that you will enable both parties to get back in um, determined to redesign this thing and to repair this relationship uh, after the pattern given to us in the New Testament. But Father... Um, that's not the only relationship that's important here this morning. Some come this day and do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And if they died on their way home from church today, they'll spend an eternity in hell. And I pray that you will do something to show them the beauty of what Christ has done. That they can be overwhelmed like so many of us in this room have been overwhelmed. By a love that will not let us go. A love that is unearned. A love that is so faithful and so sacrificial. Would you, um, would you enable others to see it like you've enabled so many of us to see it? We ask it, of course, in Jesus' name. Amen.